There you go. I didn't hear the second beep. Hey! hey. Welcome to Hey All You Zombies. I'm Richard Krause. Uh, on the other end of the line is Chris Abel. And uh, welcome to an hour. That was a very groovy little John Travolta Pulp Fiction kind of thing. I enjoyed yeah. The Batutsi. Uh, the Batutsi. Um, uh, welcome to HeyAllYouZombies.com uh, and uh, the podcast. It's an hour of chat about things that uh, we care about. We hope you do, too. Yes, definitely. Uh, and my name is Chris Abel, and uh, you know uh, we're really excited because we're going to be talking about The Walking Dead. Even though... And, and, you know, regular viewers of this podcast and listeners now, because we should point out that the podcast is now on iTunes in an audio-only format. And Mixcloud, yes. Yeah, and Mixcloud. So uh, regular listeners and viewers will, uh, will know that I'm obsessed by this show, uh, but I didn't see it on Sunday because uh, I, was at, uh, I was in New York City. And I went to the Comedy Cellar, and uh, it was so much fun. I stayed for all the shows. And it was... Really, the place has been there for 50 years or something. It's like going into the catacombs under the streets of Rome where it's you know, narrow and uh, the ceilings are really low and stuff, but everybody on the planet has performed there. And it was a really great uh, bit of fun. So on McDougal Street in the village, uh, so I missed it. And I haven't had a chance. I've been traveling. I haven't had a chance to catch up with it. So we're going to talk about this in kind of a general non-spoilery kind of way, I think. Right, yeah. And we're fortunate in that the, the first... Uh, episode of the mid-season premiere because mm -hmm. it's we're still in the middle of the season even though I kind of hated that that they broke it up like that I have to tell you yeah it, it's it's annoying I don't know um, I hate that kind of stuff but I'm not sure if it if it actually works in terms of building up an audience of getting the numbers you know maybe there's a, a rationale for it but it is kind of a, a twist and a turn if you're a member if you're watching if you're a fan of the show well if it, if it was a ploy to get more uh, viewers, it worked because 12.3 million people tuned in on yeah. Sunday, which is sets a record uh, not only for the show, but I think for AMC as well. So they've done extremely well with this. Woo! Okay, I'm happy with that. <laughs> it's It's been kind of an odd experience. I know we, we've said this before. It's like, you know, for me to go from being the kind of guy who likes this sort of stuff, zombies and gore, and everybody else being kind of judgmental about that, ooh, you know, I'm not sure I want to hang out with him, uh, to suddenly those very people now are are huge, very enthusiastic about this. It's It's been a wonderful transformation. Yeah, well, we did a, a kind of a cool thing on uh, the Wednesday before the premiere, um, Chris and I went down to Union Station here in Toronto, and uh, Union Station is, if you're not from Toronto, it's the, I guess, the Grand Central Station in Toronto. It is the the hub where you uh, the subways connect and you can transfer there to buses and trains and stuff to take you to the outer reaches of, of, uh, of the, uh, the, the GTA, the Greater Toronto Area. And so they had a huge zombie clock set up to count down. Uh, up until the premiere. And so Chris and I took a bunch of photos. And I got to tell you, I thought that this was a really kind of inventive, cool way uh, to kick off the uh, event. I'll just show you. This is a long shot oh, of, yeah, of you and I uh, in, with zombies. So they've got this big zombie clock, which was two giant hands, probably six or eight feet tall. And every day they would cut off one of the fingers as they got closer and closer to the uh, to the to the thing. So to the premiere. So you can see us there. You can see the hand in the back there. And we're with uh, one of the zombies uh, who was chained to a brick. 
so she couldn't get at us. So that's a, that's a, one of the long shots, which I thought was kind of cool. And then let me just pull this one up as well. Uh, here is a little closer look at us. Where is it? I'll find it here somewhere. Union Station is a gorgeous, gorgeous location. It's a beautiful building. It's one of the great buildings of Toronto. And although chances are, if you haven't been there, you've certainly seen it because it's a popular place for movies to come and shoot. Uh, to to take, you know, it's it's that mysterious transit terminal that must exist in the United States somewhere. But oh yeah. It, it, doesn't actually reference a specific place within New York City. It's actually Toronto. Gorgeous, gorgeous building. Just well, beautiful. And, uh, part of um, uh, Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder's uh, Silver Streak was mm -hmm. shot there as well, and loads of other movies and things. And here we are. Uh, I'm a. a you are laughing at the zombie. I'm, You're smiling. You have no fear. I'm a little scared of this zombie. So uh, I've got a bit more of a terrified look on my face. But uh, um, that was fun. That was a cool thing. You took a bunch of photos too. I did, yes. And, you know, this is a Canadian thing, which is fantastic. I mean, um, this is typically, you know, searching for zombie stuff each week as I do for Hail You Zombies. I often find that these kinds of promotions and cool events are happening in the United States. It'd be New York or San Francisco where they seem to have this stuff every day. So it was really nice to, to find out that this was something that was created in Canada, you know, pitched by a small company here in Toronto. You only Canadians could have gone and seen this and taken photos and stuff. Though apparently will come to New York and other other cities. Well, the hands were really cool too because as they cut off the fingers, then there'd be of course a little stump left, and it was cool because there were like little bones sticking out. It was like it was really quite intricately done. Yeah. So here's um. Let's oh, see. Oh, here, here's one of the the, the main zombies. Uh, you know, give me a wonderful little pose against those very fingers. And you can see the beautiful archways in the back of Union Station. And those hands are pretty incredible. I went back a second time. I went with you, you during the day, which was the best time to go, by the way. The middle of the day, that's was when they had, the, well, they had the most zombies out there at that time. So if you went at the end of the day, there would only be two zombies. When you and I went, there was like six. You know, there were lots of zombies roaming around different levels. Uh, but I got to see it sort of as they took everything kind of apart. Those hands are awesome. They're, they're made out of styrofoam, but they have wooden bones inside. So that as they cut the fingers off, you actually have the effect of, of splintered bones coming through the flesh. And they, you know, ah, just... Fantastic. But I thought, uh, yeah, the, the zombies there, they were very committed, the people playing them. They did a great I'll, job. I'll tell you, when I first got there, I was downstairs, and I wasn't sure where the big hand clock was. So I saw a zombie with a sandwich board, and there was no one else around. And I said, hey, uh, is the big clock around here somewhere, or is it upstairs? And the guy didn't break character. He just went, Arr, Arr. <laughs> And sort of pointed, gestured in a zombie sort of way to the stairs. But he didn't go, hey, just go upstairs. And, it, was, uh, it was rather excellent. Uh, the sandwich boards were awesome. I mean, they had that real, you know, the, the, the end of the world is near kind of, you know, feel to it. But what I liked is that as you had people approaching from behind, because these guys with the sandwich boards are in amongst the crowds coming through the station, is you would have people, you could see them coming from behind, and as they would pass this guy with the sandwich board and then look back, there'd be this massive reaction. Of oh, yeah, yeah. Back. Yeah. 
Well, I loved it. I mean, there were some people that we met those those young girls that we talked to who were a lot of fun. But also there was one other woman. Here they there. are. I've got a photo of the... Oh, the, yeah, there they are. Yeah, we're talking about zombies. Looking at zombies and all rushing to you because, they're, 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 you know, basically they were hoping you were going to put them on television. That's right. They were saying, you know, if you need to interview somebody about zombies, uh, you let me know. Yeah, Richard Krause, uh, come interview us. <laughs> But they, they were they were sweet. I liked them. And uh, then there was another woman there who was, for my money, the best poser of the bunch of them. Uh, she was the one who, uh, every now and again, every time I turned around, she was getting her photo taken with a zombie. And um, uh, But it would be like she'd lay on the ground and say, okay, now attack me. Now take pictures. And she also had uh, uh, a zombie eating her arm as well. Yeah, yeah I've got that yeah, right here. Here we are. Ta-da! So there we are. Oh yeah, no, that, there she is. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Uh, the way that it, that turned out, because she's really just screaming, like you know, her flesh is being teared from her wrist, and ah. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. Yeah, and I like that. There's another zombie kind of looming behind her. It was really fun. That was a cool event. I, uh, I, uh, I was really happy that uh, I went down because sometimes I, I hear about these things and I just wonder. You know, you wonder if it's going to be worth having a look at or not and uh, that one really was there's also well, sometimes you go and and they'll have like you know um some of the companies that do these promotions they don't understand how they're supposed to work and you'll find uh some white collared executive from you know the company in this case amc going hello and thank you and welcome for uh coming together here and constantly mentioning the brand over and over and over again just we had AMC couldn't be any happier to have all you kids come out to see our crazy zombies. Well, uh, if you were sitting at home, uh, not watching The Walking Dead, the season premiere, uh, the other night on Monday night, uh, if you were at home in Great Falls, I think in Montana, watching KRTV, uh, you were probably watching something called The Steve Wilco Show. And uh, the Steve Wilco show is a talk show. It's sort of like a local, I think it's a local show. And uh, then a voice came over the show, uh, drowning out the talk show, saying, uh, please, uh, we don't want anyone to uh, be alarmed, but there's a zombie apocalypse happening right now, blah, blah, blah. And it went on and on and on. Um, and uh, it was someone hacked into the television station somehow and was able to uh, get this message on the air, kind of, I guess, trying to do uh, uh, War of the Worlds, kind of, you know, sort of create that sort of scenario. But uh, KRTV felt obliged to let viewers know, both on the air and online, that the earlier report of zombies rising out of their graves was not accurate. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, this message did not originate from KRTV. They said, and there is no emergency. Our engineers are investigating to determine what happened and if it affected other media outlets. No one can figure out who hacked into this thing or why. I mean, it's a, you know, they're just goofing around. They're just having some fun with it. But I will tell you, it, it either it's just a bunch of like goofy hacker kids or this is like another great promo for The Walking Dead. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't think that it's anything. Uh, connected to AMC. Oh no, that's we're the producers of the show. But I, I am kind of like it's a bit. It would have to be a bit of an inside job. It depends if they're an old um, school radio station that's still broadcasting oh, over the air. This was television. Yeah, but, or television station. So if it was an over the air 
uh, signal, then it's possible that that could have been hijacked. But from internal, you know, if it's cable, if it's satellite, then that has to come from the station. So, you know, well done. Very interesting job. But <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious to me. Well, I love it. I love that uh, people, uh, you know, well, I don't know. I don't know how happy I'd be if I was watching that show. And like if they had hacked into something that I was really into, I wouldn't be that happy. No, no. You know, uh, it's kind of fun online if you're and, and most of the people who are going to enjoy that stunt are probably not the ones watching KRTV. And that That's sort right. of is the <laughs> downside to that. You know, you're going to see it online. And also it's, it's a point where it's kind of been done. That photograph that's been all over the internet of the highway sign that was hacked and it says zombies ahead. It's like, okay, that stunt has been done. Now it's time to come up with something a little more original. Right. Well, tell me what happened on the show on Sunday. Tell you what happened. What well, can I say? Tell me about the show. Was it you? You uh, was it was it as good as the stuff that's come before in the first half of the season? Uh, no. So I would say that this wasn't um, starting off things with a bang, that it felt like one of those episodes where they're trying to set up what's going to happen. So nothing really major has happened in this first episode. I mean, there, there are, you know, changes, of course. Um, no, no one died. No one died. There was a shocker at the end, but it was kind of a, huh? You know, a real, for everything seems to go along normal throughout the series. And then at the end, in a very soap opera kind of way where everything seems to be. And then at the end, it's like the shadowy figure appears. <gasps> you know, is it Is this person coming back? Is it what's happening here? You know, there, there are lots of illusions that are kind of confusing at this point about that. And I've, I've talked to a few people who have seen the show and they, they really don't like what happens at the end. It's, it's a, um, it almost seems like they're being manipulated rather than it being a cool change that's happened to the show. Right. Yeah. See, the show, I mean, I haven't seen it, so I, 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 I shouldn't really comment, I guess, on it. But I will say, I think like shows like The Sopranos uh, and these longer running shows, you do have these episodes where nothing much seems to happen. But what's happening is you might meet a new character or you'll learn something about an old character that sets something up for the next episode or something. And then the next episode, you know, it blows your mind. But uh, I'm interested to see what this thing at the end was, because I don't like things. I saw a movie this morning uh, that I'm not allowed to talk about just yet, uh, but it is. Uh, it has some very famous people in it, and it's not very good. And one of the things that, that really annoyed me about this uh, movie is that, you know, sort of individually, it's almost like this movie was made uh, so that you could cut a pretty cool trailer out of it. So individually, a lot of the moments are okay. You kind of go, well, like, oh, that's wicked. Look, whoa, what an explosion. Like, what a, you know, whatever it is. But it's the, the, the sinew that gets you from scene to scene that just doesn't work at all. So it's kind of like they just went, okay, we've got to have 10 big, loud, crazy things that happen. And how do we get from one to one? Oh, whatever. It That'll figure itself out. People will like the actors enough that it won't matter. People will care about them enough so it won't matter. But, you know, it doesn't really work that way. It, it really killed, that, that same kind of thinking really killed Identity Thief uh, from last weekend with Melissa McCarthy and Jason Bateman. You have a movie that has, it's about identity theft, um, you know, unsurprisingly, given the name. And it has nothing to do with reality whatsoever. So you, you take something that, that is very much a going concern, identity theft, 
you allow it to happen in the movie and you think, you know, we have to play this for laughs and I get that. But it, it none of the situations seemed to really make any sense. And they were just there to, uh, because there was an opportunity to do a pratfall or to, you know, show a little bit of an action scene. But the connecting tissue wasn't there to hold it all together. And um, that's what I fear when I hear things like, well, then something crazy happens at the end of this episode. That sounds out of context. That sounds like it's a little bit... Uh, of a of a from left field kind of surprise and not in a good way. No, yeah, I, it's it's something that immediately everybody, the people that I've spoken to, um, who are big big fans, I'm, I'm encountering all sorts of them. In fact, I had a lot of people thanking me for warning them about the Union Station. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. A lot of people didn't know about it. It, it just you know, it was amazing. Um, but the people I've spoken to, they, they don't like it because it's it's sort of you don't know what to do with it. it it's, yeah. it's something that's, you know, almost designed as a stunt to get people to go, oh, what's going to happen? You know, rather than it being something that's an interesting change or a situation. But this first episode, what they're doing is they're splitting everybody off into groups. And that's what this first episode is about, is about sort of defining, you know, all these different groups and each one sort of coming upon its own leader. Right. So you're, you're going to have Rick, being a leader and one still in, in the main group. And then they have uh, Tyrese who came in on the last episode. He sort of is a leader of another group. And then it looks like Andrea over at Woodbury is going to become leader over there. And then um, the Dixon brothers, um, they've decided that they're going to go off in their own separate way. And so this whole episode has been about having people go off in six different directions. Hmm. Well, you know, this is, you see, this does sound like one of those sort of placeholder episodes where something uh, that it doesn't seem like it's going to be that important happens, but then later on, yeah. it's the thing that propels the story. And so you've got them all splitting up into these different tribes. And see, I've always thought that that's kind of an, an interesting thing for a show like this, because you could go on for years flip-flopping from tribe to tribe. You've got this huge ensemble cast. Uh, you can, you know, once... Uh, I mean, as an actor on it, it would suck. You know, just, I deserve more money. I do. The next thing you know, you get a hatchet through your head and they're just focusing on the next tribe over, you know. But but as a viewer, it keeps it interesting. It shakes it up and, and uh, the show could go on for a long time. Well, it, it sort of depends how they go about it. Um, and this, again, is, is there's no clues here as to from the comic books as to what's happening because this is something that doesn't happen in right. the comic books. In well, you, you told me that uh, Lori's baby doesn't survive in the comic books no. and in, the, in the movie or in the television show, I'm convinced it's half human, half zombie. So <laughs> some of the girls that you talked to at the union station, everybody seemed to, yeah, believe with you uh, on that, on that aspect. I know. But and I, have no, I have no basis for that. That's just what I hope happens because you know, well, the, there was a, a television series about 15 years ago that the BBC did called survivors which although it didn't include zombies was about the end of the world. And what became interesting is that as you followed, you know, the main characters, they did split off into different groups. One group of people would hole up in a farm and try to make that farm work. And another group would go off and, and try to connect with others that they had heard about. And what was interesting about forming different groups was they began to deal with the reality of having a, a civilization that just has gone back to the middle ages where one of the things they had to do was they had to avoid all the major cities because now the sewer systems would be backed up and disease would be rampant. 
And so that became an issue that they had to kind of learn how to deal with. Or you had one guy who was an engineer and he tried to create a rudimentary telegraph system so that he could connect his farm to the other people's uh, you know, homestead and kind of work. And that was very interesting. But I, I know on The Walking Dead, it's going to be less about trying to solve those real world problems and more about you know, uh, this person cheating on that person or this person going over to that side. You know, there's going to be that kind of thing. Yeah, well, because there's been really nothing much about, uh, there's been nothing like that in the show. I mean, yeah. you know, they, they settle and they try and clear out the prison of zombies and stuff, but there's no like real world stuff. When they eat, they find a town and they go and look for stores that have been abandoned and get food. Like, it's not really about how they survive so much as, I guess, the people and why they want to survive. The people, they want to keep going and propagating. I, I don't know, I... I it, 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 it's turning into a different thing than that show that you were just describing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, one of the things that's different that, um, you know, is is the show is in this episode continues to um, touch upon the idea that Rick is starting to become unhinged. Right. We, we saw Actually, that earlier. They've been that up for a while. They've been setting that up for four or five episodes now, yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, they, they had one really great sort of episode where he was talking on a phone. Uh, and having conversations with characters and people that didn't exist. And so this episode carries that forward, but in a very different direction. What I liked in the comic books is that when they established that, there's a point which Rick realizes that there isn't really somebody on the other, other end of the phone. And he rationally understands that this is something his brain has come up with. There's that sudden moment where he realizes, holy crap, I must be under a lot of stress. Right. <laughs> if my mind has decided I'm going to have these conversations. And whereas most people would just say, I'm clearly losing my mind. I'm going to walk away from it and not deal with anything with it. He does that initially, and then he stops, and he turns around, and he picks up the phone, just doesn't say anything, and puts it in a bag. And it becomes, as the story progresses, his device for trying to get a link back to sanity. He consciously understands that when things get hairy, he can just reach for the phone. And even though he's talking to Laurie, he's kind of talking to himself. Well, it's, I thought it's, that was really beautiful. Yeah, it's, uh, it's his uh, security blanket. It's like Linus and, the, and his blanket, his security blanket. It's, it's his thing that it's his, for me, it's meatloaf. It's his comfort <laughs> thing. You know, it's his thing that, 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 that when all his things are turning to hell all around him, he can, pick up the phone and everything will be okay. Yeah, and just visually the way that Robert Kirkland does it in the comic book is fantastic because you have, um, you know, story changes that happen and horrible things and people die and then everything kind of, you know, comes back to normal. There's a bit of quiet. There's a couple of scenes of what's happening in the, the town or the street and then there's just one little shot and there's Rick maybe sitting on a staircase all by himself with a phone. <laughs> trying to, to process what happened in the day. And I thought that was really, really brilliant and was kind of hoping that that's where the television series would go yeah. uh, for a more subtle, you know, undertone. And instead what we're getting is, is you know, bum, bum, bum. so, yeah. Well, it's a nice touch, though. It's a good touch because, you know, realistically, I mean, I just don't know who could deal with what, I mean, you know, I, I understand that the idea of a zombie apocalypse wouldn't really happen in real life. But if it did, if it did, I don't know how, how you would deal with that sort of pressure, you know, day in, day out. I mean, I know, you know, it's like fighting in a war zone. And I guess the, the allegory here in some ways is post-traumatic stress disorder and, you know, things from soldiers coming back. I, you know, I can see where all that's kind of linked in, but it's interesting to find a way for him to have an outlet 
is something that you might not see on a lot of other television shows that weren't quite as clever as this one is. No, that's great. And um, the the highlight for me in this episode was Tyrese. Is at the television version of him as a character that right now I really think is cool. Right. I like him. I like him a great deal. You say uh, right should... now things happen in the comic book that prove him to be something less than what you think? He doesn't have as much of a, a main role uh, in the comic book, unfortunately. Uh, so the television series, and th- this is what they've done in the TV series, is they've taken characters like Daryl, who has no role in the comic book and, and sort of, you know, creating new, new archetypes to kind of get behind. But what I like about Tyrese that you see there is him and his wife, they work really well together. Uh, but he's also one of those characters. And sometimes, you know, you have to pay attention for this. Sometimes a character will say something, just one line. But if you pay attention, you realize that was really observant. That was very insightful. This guy clearly can think he's very perceptive as to what's happening and he's making decisions that are smart and wow, I really need a guy like that <laughs> on this show. So I, I'm rooting for him. I hope that uh, you know that becomes a great character to kind of get behind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, I missed it as I said because I was in New York City. So I thought I would just uh, I would just mention a couple of things about the trip. Uh, it was, of course, the weekend of Nemo in New York, and here in Toronto, Friday we just got hit with it. So on Thursday night. Um, I did something kind of cool. I went to London, Ontario, and I hosted an event with these people. Uh, and it was a big charity event raising money for cognitive care for St. Joseph's Hospital. Mm-hmm. We raised a lot of money. I hosted a big trivia night, which I thought was kind of a cool idea um, uh, to, you know, the idea of using your minds to help, raise, you know, using your cognitive abilities to help raise money for cognitive care. I thought it was fun. People seemed to have a really good time. We, we, we raised a whole load of money. So then we're driving back. Now, I don't drive, so they had someone drive me back. And London, for those who don't know, is the snow belt or part of the snow belt. So I thought, ah, this is going to take forever. In fact, I was told that they had a car kind of on hold for me that was sort of like an SUV and a skidoo or something like that, kind of a hybrid, to get me back just in case it got really nasty. But it didn't. It didn't get really nasty until we hit Toronto. And then it wasn't great. Uh, this was about, by this point, it was about 1.30 in the morning. And it wasn't great. Uh, I get home, go to bed. I'm up at 6 a.m. the next morning because uh, I've got to go do my TV gig in the morning. Uh, it's going to take forever to get up there. And sure enough, it snowed all night. So it took an hour to make a 20-minute drive. Uh, got up there, did the thing while I'm up there. My planes, because then I was going to New York later on that morning. My planes are being canceled, of course. I keep getting text after text after text. Uh, eventually make it home. Took about an hour and a half to make the 20-minute drive home. And just stayed put uh, from that point on. So Saturday, I go to I, I go there and I actually get to New York. Um, so one of the first stops uh, that I made was uh, the most, well, the most, Probably the most infamous restaurant in New York right now is Guy Fieri's restaurant uh, in the in the uh, theater district. Now, the way you Guy's put this on Twitter, you said it was the worst reviewed yeah. restaurant in New York City. It, well, it may be in the history of the world. There was a there was a, a restaurant review uh, that came out of the New York Times uh, a few months ago, maybe three months ago now. Uh, that was just so I mean hilarious. Like if it was a work of fiction. 
if it was a if it was a fictional review of a fictional restaurant in a novel, you'd go, well, that's pretty funny writing. But I, I cringed. I cringed at it. But I had to see this place. Now, Guy Fieri, of course, is known as you know the diners, drives and driving and dives guy on. Uh, on the Food Network, he's a very popular figure. He's got this massive restaurant, seats four or 500 people. And it, the review was unkind. Anyway, we just went in and had a drink at the bar and uh, it was it was nice enough, it was fine. I didn't, we didn't eat anything because after reading the review, I was a little afraid to, but but it was, uh, it was a bit of fun. So then after that, uh, we went uh, a little bit ways down the street. We were going to see a play, which I'll tell you about in a sec, but we went just a little ways down the street and went to a place called uh, Jekyll and Hyde. Now this is a place, that there's one other one in New York, a little bit sort of closer to Midtown. And uh, this one, it's, it's like a big theme restaurant. It's like a Chuck E. Cheese for horror fans, right? <laughs> and uh, and so they've got all kinds of crazy stuff. Now, uh, we didn't stay. I just sort of wanted to, to it's very new, this one. I didn't want to, I, 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 we just poked our heads in. But it was there that I bought something that I've always wanted. Oh, I nice. bought a fez. I bought a fez. And then we went to Sardi's, probably one of the most famous restaurants in New York after that. And I wore my fez at Sardi's and had a drink at the bar. <laughs> and, you know, the thing that I really sort of like about uh, that is I was just goofing around having fun with my uh, having fun with my newfound hat. And uh, but people in the bar uh, uh took it in the spirit in which it was intended. Everyone was taking pictures and they were like, you look great in that fez. You know, not enough people wear fezes these days. Um, and then following that, we went to see Cat on a Hot Tin Roof starring uh, Scarlett Johansson. And, uh, um, you know, if you're in New York and want to see movie stars uh, on Broadway, it's not a bad way to go. Um, it's, it's, it's a beautifully uh, presented uh version of this kieran hines also in it. he's in munich and loads of other movies he plays big daddy um my only feeling do you know the story are you familiar with this at all kind of i haven't i haven't seen it so you have big daddy is dying of cancer he's a big plantation owner uh and uh it's his birthday it's his 65th birthday and the story is essentially centered around brick who is who was played by paul newman in the movie version of this Elizabeth Taylor played Maggie, the cat on the hot tin roof. Uh, and they're a married couple. He's an alcoholic who has lost all interest in being married to this woman. Um, and she is uh, someone who came from reduced circumstances. She was very poor growing up and is not going to let this slip away from her and get away from her, this newfound kind of uh, life that she has. Um, and then there's a, a, another brother who has a wife who's thinking exactly the same thing. And so it's kind of a dynamic between these two couples and then big daddy who is this towering figure who doesn't know that he's dying of cancer and um and so it's a it's a fascinating thing so beautifully written so and scarlett johansson is so beautiful uh uh just you know visually speaking yeah she's so beautiful but there's a, a couple of lines in the movie where she's talking about being desperate and she's talking about or in the play rather where she's talking about being desperate and she goes i know i'm not as good looking as i used to be i'm like you know what I think you may have been miscast in this. Like she's good. She can pull it off and she can pull off uh, the, you know, she can hold the theater. She can hold the stage. People wanted to see her. Uh, but uh, there was just something that just wasn't quite desperate enough about her to play this character. Uh, but, uh, but all, overall, uh, you know, a, a fun night. I did not wear my fez in the theater, but I thought about it. Um, and then the next day, uh, and the weather there was, was, uh, 
it had snowed like a bugger on the Friday, but like Toronto, they got snow plows out. And, you know, you could get around very easily. Um, so the next day, I went back to Obscura, where in the East Village, where the show Oddities is, is sort of based out of. One of the greatest stores in North yeah. America. Yeah, and, and what they sell, if you don't know, what they sell is just ephemera, strange things. They sell mummified hands and and uh, uh, squirrel skeletons and, uh, you know, Shriners gear and all kinds of like just was sort of, if it's really odd, they have it somewhere. It's a, and it's a very small store, but it's jam-packed with cool stuff. And one of the things that they have at the back of the store is an 18th century mummified head. Now, apparently... Uh, you have to be careful when you're selling this stuff because you can't sell human remains typically, but you can if they're like a hundred years old or more, because then apparently you become an antique rather than a body. So they have a mummified head, and it, I don't know that it's actually for sale. I think it's now become the store's uh, uh, kind of mascot. But they have uh, they to to commemorate him. They've made these. They've made keychains of the mummified head. And so it says, you know, it's got all the story info on the bottom. So I bought a mummified head keychain uh, and um, uh, and a hat from them. And I chatted with them for a little while, and I, we were talking. They had some really cool um, Shriners and Masons stuff. Yeah. It was very expensive. I didn't buy any of it. It was very expensive. It was cool, though. And so I was talking to the guy, but it, and I was telling him about uh, the Masonic Temple here in Toronto and you know, some of the weird stuff that, that people have found in there. And... Uh, it was so kind of just a random conversation. But the amazing thing is, like on the television show, the guy who I spoke to, whose name I should know. Mike. Uh, yeah, it's Mike. Um, he, uh, see if I can pull up a picture here of him. Uh, Mike uh, uh, just randomly knew everything that there was to know. But like, this wasn't, you know, it, it was, we weren't shooting this for television. His name is Mike Zahn. He's a co-owner. Yeah. And uh, uh, we weren't shooting this. There was no, you know, setup here at all. And uh, he's like, well, I'll tell you about this. And then, boom, he just that's the guy right there. And he just had all this information at his fingertips about Masonic temples and where they were in New York and, you know, all this stuff. It was really, uh, it was really fun to talk to the guy. But uh, if you was, ever watch the, the show Oddities, and I think their, their fourth season just started in the United States, they will have somebody come in with an object and then they cut to either Mike sitting in the back room, uh, you know, suddenly spewing out all this information. And you would be mistaken, I guess, obviously, if you thought that in between that they were going to Wikipedia or going to their computer and looking at stuff. I guess, possibly, maybe, there might be some of that. But, I mean, he really, the Masonic Temple stuff, really was kind of impressive. The facts and figures he was just pulling off the top of his head. So that was cool. Yeah, I enjoyed that. And... And then, you know, we went to the Comedy Cellar, as I said. We went to see some cabaret. We did loads of stuff. It was, you know, these these stormy kind of, you know, uh, not great weekends in New York or any city, I guess, are, are kind of cool because when you're Canadian, you're, a little bit of snow is not going to hold you down, as it does mostly. Like, uh, I remember being in London, in England one year, 
when they got the most snow that they had had in 10 years or something like that. And it was like a light sprinkling compared to what we get. And uh, so I essentially had the city to myself. I had London to myself for a weekend because there was nobody around. And it was amazing. I mean, you could get into stuff, get in museums, there were no lineups, stores, there were no line. It was, it was incredible. And New York kind of felt that way this weekend. It was, I mean, it's New York, so it's still a little bit busy, but, uh, you know, bars that always have lineups and restaurants didn't. You know, they'd be busy, but you, you didn't have to wait that long to get in. So it was great. It was a cool well, that's thing. a great point. And it's not something that I, I thought of because often, you know, when we Canadians try to go on vacation, we book not just when it, the fares are at their cheapest, but when places are, are going through a warm period, which is right. when everybody goes. But as you pointed out, I mean, you know, we basically rule the towns when we arrive. Uh, in the middle of the winter. And I found that, uh, you, you know, even in my trips at San Francisco where it gets a little cold out there and people walk around wearing scarves, they get big, huge sweaters on. Uh, I don't understand it because it's it's not really that cold. I, I asked a few people and they said, well, you know, it gets windy. Windy, you know, and you're still going to wear a scarf. And I found that when I would go into stores, people would come up and ask me, uh, where something, which aisle this is, where that aisle, as if I worked there. And I would look at them like, I, you know, literally not only do I not work here, I don't live here. I'm from a completely different country. And I had a few people point out, well, it's because you're not wearing a winter jacket. Right. So we, we assume since you're not dressed for the weather, you must work at the store. And it's like, yeah. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I thought, uh, what day was, it was Wednesday when we were down to Union Station. And it was chilly here in the city on Wednesday. And uh, you were, uh, not overdressed. No. <laughs> Are you impervious to the cold? Is that what it is? Do you not? Uh, does cold not affect you? I, I, I find, yeah, I, I find that um, I, I'm not as uh, affected by the cold as, as many other people. I can walk around just in a regular jacket. Yeah, you would just, uh, you were wearing like a t shirt and a regular jacket. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'll grab gloves on occasion, maybe a scarf, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I got a really good engine. I just, boom, lots of heat. Yeah. I'm a, a good guy to to sort of you know hang out with in the winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If the car breaks down in a snowstorm, we'll just make sure that we call you first. I get to be the guy that walks out into the snowstorm to go get help. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Send Chris. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have enough uh, winter gear around, so well, Chris, we'll just give him a jacket and off he goes, <laughs> trumping along. He'll bring back hope, uh, help. <laughs> um, well, I wanted to share uh, something that's kind of cool. Um, Oh, earlier in our series, actually, I should explain the, the iTunes thing. So, yes, uh, I'm very happy to say that Hey All You Zombies is now available both through iTunes and through Mixcloud. Uh, there are two different, there are distinct advantages, advantages to either. They're both audio-only versions of the show. But if you go to iTunes, uh, what you will find is an enhanced podcast version of the show. So it's not just that you can download it, but when you have it playing on your iPhone, your iPad, or your iPod Touch, uh, and if you activate the feature in the music player that puts album art, right. you will actually see photos from our series really? when we mention them. Wow. So like earlier this podcast, you, you know, threw up some photos from Union Station and from New yeah. York City. When if you're listening to the podcast uh, on your iPhone, you're going to see those photos pop up when you mention them. Oh, that's cool. And then uh, over at Mixcloud.com, uh, we have the series set up so that there's – you won't see photos, unfortunately, uh, until I can figure out a way to add them. But we do have chapters. Mixcloud right. is a streaming service. You don't have to download the podcast. But there are set up chapters for each topic that we discuss in the show. So one of the advantages is if you aren't 
someone who has enough time to listen to the entire hour of each episode, you can look and see the six topics that we cover and you can just jump to the ones that are of interest to you. Right, right. So you can set play and you go, well, you know, today I want to hear about mm, zombies and I want to hear about David Bowie, but I'm not interested in this. Well, you can just listen to the little bits that, that are of interest to you. Oh, that's very cool. Uh, I've chosen Mixcloud because there were a couple of uh, really cool cats that were already running shows on Mixcloud, and it seemed to work really well. I listened to um, a service down in the United States in Ohio called Screaming Dead Radio, <laughs> which is uh, presented by a really cool hep cat known as the Sheepdog. Oh! Uh, he, I love it. <laughs> he does a, a, a classic 1950s, 1960s style radio station, but it's devoted to music about uh, zombies psychobilly vampires that kind of a slant as well as uh, southern rock and roll and um i figured if a guy's already there talking about zombies then this is a good place for us and to come and hang out what is this called screaming dead radio no what was it screaming dead radio yes uh and he's an awesome guy uh, immediately uh as soon as i appeared on mixcloud he sent a message he listened to our first episode and said hey man you know, it's really? good to have a show on here. Oh, did he oh. have afterwards? I like that. Yeah, yeah his show is wild. And he plays, I mean, it's like a classic 1950s radio show, except he plays music that's really cutting edge. It's not just about showcasing all the independent bands, but you'll hear songs that are very politically incorrect. Uh, it's explicit lyrics. And there's no pulling your punches. Right. He doesn't get into to politics or anything like that, but it, it's, you know, there, I was listening to one of his uh, episodes. I don't know where he finds the music, but he found an old song from the 1950s. And clearly the guy who's singing it at that time must have had a very young wife. Uh, and she it's had realized yeah. that kind yeah. of a, a relationship is what I imagine, yes. A very young sort of teenage wife who uh, he probably has expected that he's gonna, she's going to cook for him. And she figures out that the easiest thing to make is hot dogs. And so the song is called No More Hot Dogs. Yeah. And it's about how he's going to kill her and put her head on his wall if she makes more hot dogs. Yeah, wow. it's a fantastic song. So, um, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that you get from the sheepdog. Oh! I like that very much. Yeah. So uh, I'm very happy to have our series uh, on the same service as the Screaming Dead Radio. They do Hot Rod Saturday nights. Uh, you know, fantastic stuff. That's uh, cool. Um, but the, the cool thing I was going to talk about this week is um, I wanted to talk about dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. And I know I've, I've spoken about dinosaurs before. At the, the beginning of our podcast series, I talked about the Royal Ontario Museum. I have a really cool relationship with them, how they showed me their new technology, their new dinosaur display. What I didn't mention at the time, and I just felt, you know, um, some things I want to be kind of serious about and other things I want to be kind of goofy and enthusiastic. But at the time, I was, you know, so into dinosaurs, I was trying to think of some cool stuff that I could put on my social media, my Twitter, my Facebook, and I thought I would create an Ablesaurus, <laughs> right, just for fun. And I Googled Ablesaurus, and my socks were blown off when I realized there's actually – a group of dinosaurs called the Ablesaurids. Really? There really are. And, yeah. and just the, the panic as I, as I realized this, because, of course, there's, you know, the, the results that came up were all the official uh, Dinopedia, Encyclopedia websites that list all the dinosaurs. And there it is, Ablesaurus. And I thought, oh, please, please let it be like a meat-eating, run-for-your-lives yeah, yeah. dinosaur. Yeah. 
you know, rather than one of those moo cow chewing cud kind of dinosaurs. You know, oh. It was only one inch high. Yeah. <laughs> it was very meek. <laughs> and so I was very, very happy uh, when this is the, the guy that popped up. Let's see if I can get it on here. Uh, is there a better image? Uh, I'll go for this one. Uh, there he is. Hey. Yes. And so you, we are looking at the Tyrannosaurus Rex style of dinosaur. Right. Very, very large, uh, but different. Very, very different. This, of course, uh, I, and I was happy to discover this is the dinosaur at the Royal Ontario Museum. Their new uh -huh. exhibit features a number of abelsaurids. So this, this dinosaur, I mean, it doesn't really look like it has arms. That's the comedy aspect of this particular uh, dinosaur. He has arms that are so small. Uh, and they tell me at the Royal Ontario Museum that if you're sitting and having a chicken dinner tonight, right. chances are the arms and the chicken that you're eating is probably larger than the arms that this guy has. Really? Wow. Very, very small. Abelsaurs are cool, but they have very, very tiny, almost useless arms. They say that they're, they're vestigial by nature, meaning that they're kind of left over from previous evolutions. More like the wings on a flightless bird, you know, not terribly useful, but uh, very cool dinosaur in that, uh, you know, frightening. Uh, this is a uh, different from other dinosaurs in that the snout tends to be very short, right? And so it's it's more of a dino that if he gets a hold of you, he's like a pit bull. He just <laughs> will rip you to, to pieces. Fantastic. But yeah, I was very very pleased, uh, you know, to go and and see that there was an entire exhibit of abelsaurs. Here we are, uh, you know, some of the photos from the actual exhibit themselves. That's cool. And I'll pull up another one here. And what's awesome about this exhibit, I mean, it's just the way that it was put together, I thought was beautiful. The, the way that they've posed the dinosaurs, the lighting that's there, lots of hints that these things could come alive right. and come after you and cause all sorts of havoc. Uh, just wonderful. But I wanted to mention this again, not just because of, you know, woohoo, Abelsaurs, but um, because one of the, um, the, the, the staff at the museum has posted on Twitter an entire article all about the Abelsaurids. And he made sure to send it to me because they know down at the museum. It's like, yeah, they know. I'm, I'm you know, yeah, very excited. And it's, it's funny because I am excited, but wouldn't be as excited as if I was eight years old. I wish I could go back in time and tell my eight-year-old self there are Abelsaurids. Abelsaurus dinosaurs. But I wanted to share this article that was posted um, because the whole article is reasons why the Abelsaurids are cool. And so he delivers a lot of great information about it. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, the way their head is structured, Abelsaurids may have simply grabbed onto their prey and never let go, letting them struggle to death. They just had a very strong bite. Right. Uh, he says that um, they have been found today. Their fossils have been found in, in mainly two places, which is Argentina and Madagascar. Wow. wow. Yeah, Madagascar is cool. You know, if you, you yeah. want your dinosaur, if there's a Krasosaurus... Yeah. You want the Crossosaurus to come from like Madagascar or Papua New Guinea or Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the places. Um, so they have at the, the museum the two most famous Abelsaurids. Uh, the first one, which is the one I showed, that first image, is the Carnotaurus, which sounds like, it, you know, it's like a Roger Corman movie. Yeah, yeah, Carno, yeah. Carnotaurus coming to get you. And then the other one is the Majungasaurus which uh, I think I'm pronouncing properly. 
But the, the, the Carnotaurus is by far one of the easiest dinosaurs to identify because he's got bull-like horns. Oh, right. Whereas the, the Majungasaurus has one bony horn on top of his head. Like a unicorn. Like a, a dino unicorn. <laughs> Here you go. Uh, and, of course, just has a great sounding name. Uh, the Carnotaurus is famous not for just being one of the most recognizable of the Ablesaurids. And I, I'll, I'll admit to something. I'm pronouncing it Ablesaurids. Um, it's probably Ablesaurids. Or yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, the paleontologist who first discovered them, that they've been named after his last name was Abel. But over in areas of Europe like Argentina, they tend to pronounce it as Abel. And so, you know, when you will see scientists and nerds on TV ever talking about Abel sores, they're not going to say it like I do. They're going to say Abel sores. But, you know, uh, if here on Hey All You Zombies, we yeah. pronounce it we as the, the Abel sores. We know the truth. <laughs> uh, and even better for Hey All You Zombies, the Majungasaurus, which is one of the two Abel sores they have at the Royal Interior Museum. Uh, th there's evidence to suggest that it has been engaged in cannibalistic behavior. <laughs> Even better. Even cooler. So not only do these large, big, huge monsters roam around eating smaller monsters, but they apparently eat each other. Uh, they said they've found several Majungasaurus uh, tooth marks on other Majungasaurus fossils. So, you know. You get hungry, you got to eat. Got to eat, uh, especially, you know, when you're going through periods of, of extreme weather uh, and you know, other things may not be available there. But, uh, yeah, so this article, which I'll post on our website, is uh, thanks to uh, ROM coordinator Kieran Mukherjee, who right. has uh, an Ablesaurus-sounding like name. And uh, he writes here, I find Ablesaurus fascinating for the obviously funny reasons, the small arms. Uh, being real, I've had turkey legs on Thanksgiving that are bigger than these and the short snouts. But I also find them, weirdly maybe, incredibly beautiful. Sometimes in the shadows of the exhibit at the right angle, you don't see the shape of their arms and it almost looks like a giant stocky snake on two legs. So there you go. That's cool. Well, I have nothing, you have uh, nothing? nearly as cool as that, but... Uh, uh, I thought I would share this. In America, as you know, this is another, just one more thing from my trip. Um, you know, you can get anything. And as a film critic, I wanted these. Oh. Band-Aids with, with uh, of course, the, the, the Muppets, uh, the Muppet critics, and I love them. And there you have it. So uh, that was very cool. But um, my last thing that I wanted to talk about was... Um, uh, sort of the era of the movie star. Now, as I said earlier, I went to see a movie today with some very big stars in it, uh, which wasn't very good, and it's probably going to make a lot of money, but, you know. But I wonder, because uh, a movie called Movie 43 just came out uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, uh, you, you look down at the list of the people that are in it. Elizabeth Banks, Halle Berry, Gerard Butler, Josh Duhamel, uh, Richard Gere, Hugh Jackman, Emma Stone, Naomi Watts, Kate Winslet. It goes on and on. There's a lot of people on this. Uh, and it's sort of a, it's a, like a, a, what they call a portmanteau. It's, it's, it's skits all strung together. Chloe Moretz is in it, Terrence Howard, Kristen Bell, Jason Sudeikis. I mean, it's a, you know, it's an all-star cast. And it made uh, $4.8 million. That's it. That's, that's, that's it's gross. People didn't go see it. It was also horribly reviewed. People did not like this movie. But um, I wonder, 
if uh, on the weekend, only two weeks after it's opening, it opened and made two hundred seventy nine thousand dollars in seven hundred seventy seven venues. Given the screen, and this is this is what you have to look out for on movies. Uh, not the total accumulated gross, but how much it makes per screen. So if you hear like, you know, a small movie made uh, uh, $80,000 on the weekend, you go, well, that's not very much. Well, it might have only been on three screens. And it's a huge amount if it's only on three or four screens. This was on almost 800 screens for a per screen average of just $360. So that's not good. It's not good. 20 no. people a day going to see it. Uh, but it got me thinking, like, do people care about movie stars anymore? You know, there was a time when you went to see a movie. When I was a kid, you unquestionably went to see anything with Bruce Lee in it. Didn't matter what it was. If it had Bruce Lee in it, it was going to be cool. Uh, you know, generations past, you know, it's been people like Clark Gable and, yeah. you know, like, and you went to see movies that had movie stars in them. And I just wonder now, other than maybe Will Smith, maybe Tom Cruise, if there are actors out there anymore whose name guarantees a hit. And I, 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 I'm, I'm at a bit of a loss. I, I, you know, I, I just plucked this article out of uh, uh, the Huffington Post. And you know, they were talking about, you know, this movie is, is not a great example because it's horrible. But it, it does, have, but it does have this all-star cast in it, and I just wonder, you know, if, if if it means anything anymore. And I don't think it does. I mean, do you care? Uh, Are you the story, or I, I go for directors quite often. Yes, but that's part of that's kind of my job. Like that's sort of more, you know, in line with what I do for a living. But uh, I often go to see something just specifically to see what a director's done, but not so much actors. I don't think. Well, I think if you're a cinema file, cinema east, movie buff, you learn to kind of trust the, the director's name more than anything else. Uh, and I guess that's part of it as well, uh, especially I think with the rise of genres where you have more and more people who are getting interested in science fiction and, and stuff like that. They're, they're more interested in terms of who the, the visionary is behind the project. Is it a James Cameron movie? Um, people are now debating the next Star Wars films, and because it's J.J. Abrams that's going to do it, then it's, oh, well, then it must be good. You know, So there, I think there's been an increased number of people who are starting to pay attention to the director. So maybe it's a, a number of different factors that people are kind of looking at. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. And, and I know that overseas, uh, the, the era of the movie star is still very definitely you know, happening. Um, you know, uh, Will Smith, Tom Cruise, Robert Downey Jr. are big stars, and their name guarantees a lineup around the block. But you know, for someone like uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr., I wonder, as, as charming as he is and as talented as he is, if the movie title doesn't have Iron Man or Sherlock Holmes in the title, will anybody care? Now, that's enough. I mean, carrying two huge franchises on your shoulders is a lot. I mean, that's you know, let's not. I'm not downplaying that in any way uh, because, you know, that's huge. You know, there's many actors who would kill to have one hit as big as any of those movies, right? And he's got these two series that he that he's the, very much the, the focus and star of. But, you know, if, if those words aren't in those titles, I wonder if anybody cares. No, I don't think to, uh, as much anymore. There, yeah, I think you're right that there was a time where somebody would just blindly go see a movie, not even know what the title is. It's like, yeah. Oh, Sean Connery's in it. I'm gone. You know, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and 
no longer is that case. It may part of it have been the rise of the internet because one of the changes I noticed um, in the past couple of decades was the increased uh, the increased times I hear people saying, "I want to know what happens in the movie before I even go and see it." Right. Which the number I of people. People who want to make sure that if I'm going to go see this movie, I need to know that there's going to be a happy ending. I need to know, uh, you know, what what kind of special effects is going to happen. That you know, people now are at a point where they want the trailer almost to be a mini version of the movie before they go and see it because they need to know everything before they go in. They don't want to waste their time anymore. So well, I think that may have been the bigger factor. Well, there's that, and I also think that maybe we know too much about people now. You know, it, it used to be that if you're a movie star, you you uh, made a movie, you did some interviews, you disappeared, you made another movie, you went, you know, you might be seen, you know, photographed, uh, you know, going to a glamorous Hollywood party or something, but you weren't, you know, it was unlikely that pictures of you, uh, you know, in jeans and, and a t-shirt ordering a coffee at Starbucks were going to make it in the newspaper, you know, so maybe we just know, maybe we feel uh, too familiar with these people now. In terms of them being stars, it's like, well, I don't have to pay twelve bucks to go see the guy because I can just go on TMZ or I can go on, you know, online and find it. Well, and that and the marketing now makes it painfully clear that when you see a Will Smith movie, you know whether it's going to be a Will Smith blockbuster movie, right. a Hollywood movie, or it's going to be that experimental movie where Will Smith is trying to to create art and yeah. do something serious. And well, people, I, you know, I, I give him that though. I mean, you know, for for someone of his stature. To make movies like uh, uh, Twelve Pounds was it called Twelve Pounds Seven Pounds Twelve Pounds? The, the, it was a, a smaller artsier film uh, mm. that came out and didn't do a whole lot of business, I don't think. But you know, he he made it, and you know, and it was an odd, challenging movie, and and he was probably one of the only people that could have gotten financing for it, and he did it, and he was good at it, you know. But you know, clearly the movies that that make the money for him are the you know Men in Blacks and the you know. The, the, the movies, the big action movies that people seem to want them to be in. But I, I like the smaller movies just simply for their unpredictability. When you see Will Smith in a movie, if he's the hero, there's no danger. All of a sudden, any danger that might have been in that movie, any danger uh, or any possibility that you might be surprised by something that that character does has been taken out because they're not going to kill Will Smith at the end of this movie. They're not, nothing bad's going to happen to this guy. And not that I necessarily want bad things to happen to Will Smith, but I do want sometimes to be shocked in a movie and go, I can't believe they just killed that guy. Here's a spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the Hurt Locker now, yeah. block your ears. It's amazing. Uh, in the first 10 minutes of the Hurt Locker, they killed Guy Pierce. So you meet him. And you go, oh, well, I didn't know Guy Pierce was in that. I like that. What? They've just killed. But it's a, it's a surprising, shocking moment. You know, Guy Pierce is that kind of actor who typically doesn't get killed in the first 10 minutes of a movie, you know? And uh, and I like that. I like that because it, it, it took me to a place like Psycho. I mean, Alfred Hitchcock really was the first person to take a very recognizable star, cast them against type, and then kill him halfway, not even have a kill him half an hour into the movie. And, you know, that that was something that simply just, like, really hadn't been done before. And uh, and it was shocking. And, uh, and, and I don't think we see enough of that. I'd love it to see, you know, Will Smith make a movie where he decides uh, that, you know, he's going to be uh, um, uh, 
uh, you know, that where, where he dies in the middle of it or, or, or something happens to him that's catastrophic because that would surprise me and I'd like to see that. Well, or just to, to do what, um, you know, it's the third man uh, where you have someone who is mentioned constantly throughout the film but right. doesn't actually exist, you know, other yeah. than to show up briefly and how much power is there. It's, the, the, it's Alec Guinness being Obi-Wan Kenobi who, right. although he dies uh, fairly, you know, not about the halfway mark in the movie, it's the character we still talk about throughout the rest of the, the next six movies. And so there is great power, and I think sometimes we've forgotten about doing that with Hollywood stars like Will Smith. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, uh, Alec Guinness, not unhappy about dying, apparently, in that movie. He hated those movies. He didn't like George Lucas. And he was, I think, it, from what I understand, if I'm remembering it correctly, he was more than happy to be killed off. <laughs> there, I think he even requested it. Yeah. At one point, he was a Shakespearean actor. This is not what they were supposed to be doing. But, you know, um, you need a payday. And that's a horrible thing when you have to kind of, you know, go against what you want to do and, and take a payday. But boy, uh, did he ever, you know, if you, if you had to do that, that horrible deed, that was the yeah. right way to do it. Yeah, it right. I would say to your point, though, about Robert Downey Jr. is that he is one of the few people who can embody uh, a movie star off the screen. Right. In the sense that, you know, even the, the commercials that he's doing for the car companies right now, he still comes off as being Tony Stark cool, yeah. even though it's not written by anybody who did the Iron Man films or, you know, uh, John Favreau is not involved. It's, it's somehow he still kind of knows how to, to, well, to turn think that off. He's got that swagger. I mean, I, I've interviewed him a bunch of times for different things and, and at very different times in his career, you know, and <laughs> things weren't going well for a long time. I interviewed him years ago when things were going really, really well. And then once or twice during the dark years, and then I've interviewed him since. And he hasn't changed all that much. I mean, he's, he's that kind of manic, you know, friendly sort of now. I mean, now it's a little different because he is so famous. He's a bit more guarded than he used to be. But, uh, um, you know, he, uh, he wasn't always like that. Uh, um, uh, and, and, you know, he had that kind of natural swagger to him, I think. And that's what brings him, I think, or, or, or makes the Tony Stark character such a natural fit for him. Because mm -hmm. that, that comes, it doesn't seem forced for him. Well, and I've seen other actors that, um, there was an event I was at that Jamie Foxx came in and hosted. Right. And he comes in, he tries to be Mr. Movie Star. Hey, baby, how's it going? You know, and he really tries to play the room and, and make yeah. things happen. I've seen a lot of people do that. Yeah. But it's 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 sort of an unsuccessful attempt to take the movie star quality off the screen and try to translate it into real life. And from what I've seen, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is one of the few people that kind of manages to pull that off. He's got it. Yeah. Well, he's smart. He's funny. He's got a very quick mind. And and as someone that you're interviewing, he's a, he's a treat. Cool. Mm -hmm. All right. So there we are. Uh, so you will still be watching The Walking Dead. Oh, oh, yeah, listen. Uh, I was out of the country, on vacation. Events conspired against me getting home early enough to see it. I will say, and then yesterday was spent trying. You know, it was it was hard to get back yesterday because, of course, everyone who had been displaced on Friday and Saturday was then at the airport on Sunday and Monday trying to get back. And I'll tell you, there were some ugly scenes at the airport, both in Toronto and New York, uh, yesterday. That's fantastic. And I thought we could end this podcast uh, da -da -da -da, with this lovely lady. Uh, 
from our you know experience at Union Station. Oh uh, yes, fantastic makeup work there, uh, and you know tremendous commitment uh, to the right. If you went to Union Station, you met these these actors playing these roles. These people were on their feet for nearly six hours on that day, completely acting like zombies. I was there at the end of the day when they were unchained and they were really chained to those concrete cinder blocks. Somebody had to get down and, and, and play with the locks to get them off. And then when they were done, she did this little dance to kind of increase the circulation uh, in her, in her ankles and legs. So, you know, well done. Oh, cause she was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. She was utterly fantastic. All right. Well, uh, this is the first week that neither one of us has crashed on one side or the other. So Yahoo to that. And uh, next time, Hey yep. All You Zombies. More. Please, go, please go to HeyAllYouZombies.com. Um, check us out on iTunes. If you go to the Mixcloud broadcast where we've got little chapters, you can actually post comments in our episodes and reply to specific things. So that would be fantastic. Talk to you soon.